one of us has the opportunity to walk in heaven on earth or hell on earth as well. And what's interesting is the access to live heaven on earth, not in its fullness, but in a type and shadow, a forerunner comes if you're in Christ. And I'm telling you, if you're outside of Christ, that whatever life you're living, you're actually living hell on earth because you were designed to be in Christ. You were designed for heaven. You were designed for eternal paradise in the presence of God. In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to show you that heaven doesn't just begin after you die. You can experience a taste of heaven right here on earth, right now. All you have to do is be in Christ. Accept His Lordship and walk in His will. Everything else, everything outside of Christ, is just a little foretaste of how it will be in hell. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 15 as he continues his message, Judah's Inheritance. Now, what's interesting is Jerusalem actually ends up to be within the tribe of Benjamin, which was the other more southern tribe. But the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, I wanted to make sure I commented on it because That word, the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, in Hebrew is the word Gehenna, which we translate today as hell. Now, I want to explain to you why. And I think that these are some of the things that when you you don't think about it until someone tells you it, then you start to think about it. The Valley of the Son of Hinnom. See, now, the discussion about the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, what's fascinating about that is that would push us towards a writing. Like, nobody knows who wrote the book of Joshua. Right, But it would point us to a later writing of the book because the story of the valley of the son of Hinnom, there was a man named Hinnom who sacrificed his son to the pagan god Molech. And so God was so incensed by this child sacrifice to a pagan god that they were never allowed to settle the land and they made it the incinerator for all the trash of Jerusalem. So if you're sitting in Jerusalem and you walk out the gate to the south, you walk into, now it's a beautiful park and forest. You know, it's beautifully lush, but that was where they would take all the garbage from the city and burn it. The nearest gate, the gate that you would walk out of in Jerusalem to get to the valley of the son of Hinnom or Gehenna is what they call the Dung Gate, D-U-N-G. You know why they called it that? Because that's where you took the poop out. You know what I mean? Like it was really, that was the gate. And literally it would go on out into the valley right below Jerusalem. And that was where they would burn all the trash. And that's where the idea of Gehenna or hell being a place of fire. For them, Gehenna was, when you think of Gehenna, all you would think about was an incinerator. For the people in Jesus' day and before, it was always where the trash was and where the fires never were quenched. And so it becomes the perfect symbolism and picture for what life looks like separated from God. Now, here's the thing. 
I believe in a literal hell. And the reason I do believe that is because I believe the Bible. And I want to encourage you to believe the Bible because hell is what happens after this life. And there could be a million theories about it, but there's one person who has been there and back, and that is Jesus. You don't need anyone else to be like, I died and I went to heaven and I'm going to tell you what happened or I died, I went to hell and I came back. I'm going to tell you. you don't need any of that because Jesus has already been there and he knows what it is. And Jesus says that there is appointed a person wants to die and then the judgment. And that judgment, eternity, which is a lot longer than whatever amount of life we get, goes to one of two places. Either heaven, which is where you dwell with God perpetually in newness of life, or hell, where you go to a place where although God still exists, God's blessings in no way is there, and it's a place of perpetual torment. Now, some people would say that that's a primitive belief. But no, it's a biblical belief, and I think we should have that belief. But the thing is, is that long before somebody goes to heaven or hell, on this side of eternity, I believe that not the biblical concept of the eternal abode, but each one of us has the opportunity to walk in heaven on earth or hell on earth as well. And what's interesting is the access to live heaven on earth, not in its fullness, but in a type and shadow, a forerunner, comes if you're in Christ, And I'm telling you, if you're outside of Christ, that whatever life you're living, you're actually living hell on earth. Because you were designed to be in Christ, to walk in his spirit. And that whatever you enjoy, if you're outside of Christ, you realize that it's fleeting, but you realize it's actually all you're going to get. And so I think it's important to realize that, that's why Jesus said that we should pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you're in Christ today, then what God is offering you is he's offering you a taste of heaven on earth before you get to experience heaven in heaven. And if you're outside of Christ, what you're experiencing right now is hell on earth before you ultimately experience hell and hell. And what's fascinating is, as I watch what's going on in the world today, our world is seeing this at every turn. Like, it's amazing if you watch culture as not just somebody who exists within it, but you watch it in the way culture feels about the world that we live in. Like, it's amazing when somebody gets their identity purely from their looks, which is not where you're supposed to find your identity, by the way, right? You find your identity in Christ, not just how you look. But if a culture defines its identity as only in the superficial way our skin is perceived, then you begin living hell on earth of always trying to look differently than you do, always trying to look younger than you do. You know, and our culture is showing all of the issues of that. Not only in females, but in males as well, right? And so if your identity is how much money you have in the bank, which is not the way you're supposed to be defined just by the number of zeros, but if you live that way, the relentless pursuit of money becomes something that literally hollows your soul out. So you're actually living hell on earth before you actually live hell in hell. So it becomes a picture of it. And I know it's not a, 
maybe a culturally popular teaching, but at the same time, it's still true. It's as true as Jesus. It's as true as the fact that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's one of those things, like, you may be like, well, it's not really cool. Like, I'm supposed to be able to drink whatever I want, but if you drink gasoline, you're going to (laughs) die. And you have to realize that hell's real, and so is heaven. And you're going to go to one of those two places. And what's amazing is Jesus didn't say, I came to condemn you to hell. He said, no, I did not come to the world to condemn the world. I came to save it because the world was condemned already. And that's what I love so much about you. Jesus isn't saying, I'm coming, and because I came, I'm condemning the world. He said, no, we're already condemned, and we all knew it, but I came that I might open up a new way that you might go in a different direction. And when I realized that, because I had bought the cultural lie that Jesus was the problem. I didn't grow up in this stuff, and I never read the teachings of Jesus, and I heard, oh, Jesus is the problem. Religion is the problem. But what I realized, no, no, the problem isn't Jesus or religion. The problem is humanity. In all of its different cultures, there's still the same issues that have always been there in different times and different seasons. The problem is the heart of humanity is bent on rebellion against God and what he has for us. And Jesus said, look, you are already condemned, and that's why I came, because everything was lost until I came. And if you don't want to be lost, you don't have to be lost. And the question for each one of us, wherever we are, whether we're in one of our sanctuaries or we're watching online or we're part of the TV family and all these different people who hear this, the question is, is, if you were to die right now, where would you go? What would be the next step for you? And the answer to that is simple. The question is, is what have you done with Jesus? Listen, if your answer, well, you know, I think Jesus is kind of a cool dude, that is not the right answer. I mean, he is a cool dude, the coolest dude you'll ever meet, but he's so much more than that. If you said, well, I think Jesus is a great teacher, not good enough. He is a great teacher. He's the greatest teacher who ever lived. Nobody ever spoke with the wisdom that Jesus of Nazareth spoke with. But it's not enough. The only proper answer is that I have surrendered my life and fully identified myself with his death and resurrection because he died in my place. And because he died in my place, I have now received the gift that he wants to give me, which is life on this side of life and life in the hereafter. And my friends, if you have never made that decision, and not just with your words and with your thoughts, but then let that filter into the way that you live your life, then I'm here to tell you that you are playing with a lost eternity. And there's nothing more horrifying than playing with a lost eternity. You are playing Russian roulette with your life. And that, my friends, I would be a horrible person if I didn't say, don't do that. Why would you do that? And you might be saying, well, listen, you know, Fusco, I don't know how to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. I'm not asking you to understand how to dot all the I's. I'm asking you to trust in the finished work of Jesus. You know what I'll tell you? I've been following Jesus for 20 years, and 20 years into this journey with Jesus, I understand less about what God is doing than I thought I did. Like 20 years ago, I'm like, I understand everything that God's doing. Because I was young and naive and overzealous. Now I'm like, look, I don't have a clue what God is doing sometimes. But what I do know is that Jesus came and he died and he rose again. And as long as I know that, I can trust that everything else that's going to go on, even if I don't understand it, God's got a plan. 
So I'm not saying you need to have every answer. Because the Bible tells us a lot of stuff, so we have a lot of answers, but we don't understand everything about everything that God's doing. But what I want you to do is I want you to learn how to trust that the Lord knows what he's doing and God's plans are good. Just like I asked my kids to do that. Like my little Annabelle, I love this little girl so much. She's four years old. And listen, there's a lot of things that Annabelle does not understand. Like a lot of things. Like the other, it's funny, so Annabelle, you can pray for us. Annabelle is her own hairstylist with scissors. Yes. I just got a text before I got out here. Annabelle cut her hair again. I can't wait to see what it looks like. Right? But what's funny is, is even though Annabelle has cut, I think this is her fourth go round in the last two months of cutting her hair. So you know she's looking good. You know, like, you know, it's like she got style, you know. But there's nothing worse than when you walk in a room and your four-year-old's running with scissors. Scary, right? How many parents know what I'm talking about? It's horrifying, right? Now I say, Annabelle, I want those scissors. She's like, no. And she runs away and I grab her and I pull the scissors and she starts to get so mad at me. Like literally, like she's like angry at dad. I don't like you. I like mommy. I hear this stuff, you know? What Annabelle doesn't realize, when she gets older, I'm going to be like, Annabelle, remember when you were running with scissors? She's like, I can't believe you let me do that. I'm like, no, you got mad at me because I took them away from you. She doesn't realize she's going to fall down on that thing. She could hurt herself. So she doesn't get what I'm doing because she doesn't understand. And that's the thing about trust. See, when you believe that God is God and that God is the creator and God knows a lot more than you do, when God has a way and a plan for something or God is doing something you don't understand, at some point you say, well, God's kind of smarter than me. And there's a lot of things that I don't understand. And because I don't understand a lot of things, I'm going to trust that God knows more than I know. So even though I don't get it, God, I'm going to trust you because I don't get a lot of stuff. And that's how trust works. And it's that simple, really. And so I'm not asking you to say, I understand everything about how Jesus works and how this thing goes and what this means. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you to simply trust that when God says, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you would say, okay, I don't know a whole lot about eternity, sin, life, God, but if that's what God says that I need, I'm going to say yes. And the same thing for those of you who are already followers of Jesus. Listen, you got to do the same thing every day. You may have put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, but you're actually not following the way of Jesus right now. Jesus says, I want you to forgive. You're like, I'm never going to forgive that person. Don't you know what they did to me, Lord? Lord's like, yeah, I actually really do know what they did to you because I know everything. But I want you to forgive them anyway, just the way I forgave you. Right? Jesus says, hey, listen, I want you to Commit yourself to be pure in heart and mind and body. He would say, well, I, no, Lord, it's kind of fun. Come on, Lord, really? And I was like, yeah. See, we have to learn how not only to trust him unto salvation, but to live our lives in line with what he has. Because what God wants for you, see, I would say it this way. God loves you too much to let you hurt yourself. Like, he's a good dad that way. He's like, I don't want you to hurt yourself. But it's even more than him not wanting you to mangle your own life. He's like, I actually have blessings that I want to give you. Because when you take something like purity and you say, I'm going to live pure. Because God's not saying not ever. He's just saying not yet and not like that. When you grab hold of that, you're like, oh, God's got a good plan then. So it's not not ever. It's just not now and not in this way. But these things will exist in these other areas. And when you get there, then the enjoyment of those things now isn't a question of purity. It's a question of worship.
And that changes literally the whole thing because you start realizing, oh God, I don't like, I mean, I don't get it. And our culture doesn't believe this stuff, but you want this because you got an even better plan. And you begin to see what God's intention is in all these areas of your life. What's God's intention in romance and love and careers and why we exist and how we're supposed to live and what we do with our bodies and why we do these things with our bodies. God's got a purpose and a plan for all of it. But all of us need to learn how to choose Jesus right now. Right where we are on the step that we find ourselves. And so I could talk about this all day, but we're going to go move on. Verse 13, it says this. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, this is verse 13, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly the name of Debir was Kirjath Sephar. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjah Sephar and takes it to him, I will give Aksa, my daughter, his wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as his wife. And now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? And she answered, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now, if you're with us, when we looked at Joshua 14, we saw that Caleb's like a cool guy. Because Caleb, like Joshua, the only two elderly guys there. And Caleb wants one last fight. So he gets this land, Kirjath Arba, with the sons of Anakar. And the sons of Anak were giants in the land. Terrifying people. And so although Caleb is old, he wants the hardest fight. He's got another fight left in him. And he goes on up and he not only conquers this land, but he displaces these three Anakites, which were these descendants of Anak, these giants were part of the reasons people got scared on the first spying mission where the children of Israel ended up being disobedient to get the Lord. So he gets this land and he wants to take this other land. And then in verse 16, it, Caleb makes a pronouncement. He who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. Now, of course, right there, I need to make some comments because we do live in the 21st century. And here's the way this works. Our culture says you get to marry whoever you want and you do it based on whatever your ideas of love are. But really, that's a new development in world history. And it's even really a new development in American culture because those of you who are older knew that you couldn't just marry anyone you wanted, Right? It's like, that's brand new, and at this juncture, I'm not saying we should change it, but it's really not going so great, because people are marrying for love, and five out of ten marriages end in divorce. So maybe we need to rethink our ideas of what love is, and if we're going to actually do this stuff. So that's the first thing. But I'm not saying we should change it, but I'll be honest, as a dad, I am definitely, definitely not letting my daughters marry anyone they want. Okay? Because I'm watching Caleb here, and Caleb's a smart dude. So really what goes on is in that culture, women, there was arranged marriages, right? And in some ways, I, I kind of dig Caleb as a dad here because he's like, well, if my daughter actually is going to get married, I want her to marry a real dude. 
So he says, listen, any, I got this inheritance, this land, whoever goes and takes that, they can marry my daughter. So, so he puts them to the test a little bit. Does this guy got some mojo? Is he industrious? Is he willing to go to bat for his daughter? And sure enough, this guy, Othniel, says, I'll do it. Absolutely. Now, it says he's the brother of Caleb. Now, of course, in Hebrew, brother could mean descendant. I mean, it, if, if you studied with us through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the way they describe family members, sometimes in my father is really their grandfather, their great-grandfather, their brother. So it's a family member, which we think is kind of strange. But the children of Israel were marrying within their families, by and large, right? And so Othniel says, I'll go do it. And sure enough, he took it. And then Aksa, his daughter, was given as wife. So in some ways, I think it's good. Now, here's what I want to say to you dads. Okay, here's my advice. And I preach to myself because I got two young daughters. Here's the deal. You are meant to be the covering of your daughter until another man becomes her spouse. And do not abdicate that position. Do not, like your daughters will learn what a man is from you. So like literally with my daughters, I open the door for her every time. Literally, they go to the car, I open the door for them. Why? Because I want them to know that a real man is going to open the door for him. I love it. My daughter's like, I'm going to take the garbage out. I'm like, no, you're not. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe men and women are equal in the eyes of God. I just think that women shouldn't have to get their hands dirty in garbage. I remember when I first got married, I saw me and Lynn went through this. It was so funny. I was like, <laughs> so funny. I'm like, Lynn took the garbage. I'm like, I don't want ever want you to take the garbage out. Why? I can do it. I know you can do it. I just don't want you to do it. It's my job. But I can do it. I'm like, I'm not saying you can't do it. I mean, you're strong enough, smart enough. You just shouldn't do it. She's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And, you know, we're having that thing. And then finally, she's like, what am I doing? He wants to take the garbage out. Like, why am I fighting him? I'm like, I don't know. You know? And now she's like, it's so good. I definitely, ne- I never want to take the garbage. I'm like, great, you should. Now, all, all the wives right now are hitting your husbands. Like, why am I taking the garbage out? And that's good. Because listen. It's not that women aren't strong enough. It's not that women, like, yeah, you, like, I always joke sometimes, I'm like, well, men and women are equal. I'm like, well, then go take the garbage out. Right? It's like, it's not a question of can you do it, it's just should you do it. See, my daughters are going to learn what a godly man is, is from me. And so you dads, listen, are you screwing that up right now? If you are, you need to go apologize to your wife. You go apologize to your daughter. And today you start showing them what an honorable man looks like. Your daughters are going to learn how a man is supposed to talk to his wife by the way that you talk to your wife. So if you're rude and angry and yelling at your wife, then your daughters are going to learn that's the way I'm supposed to be spoken to. And the answer is, is that's not how you're supposed to be spoken to. Jesus is... In today's message, Pastor Daniel showed us that while every person will spend eternity in either heaven or hell, that future starts here on earth. When you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and walk in His ways, you begin to experience a taste of heaven on earth. But when you don't follow Christ, everything you experience, even the pleasurable ones, are the beginnings of hell right here on earth. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share another important facet of walking in Christ. That's what each of us wants to be doing, learning to walk in the kingdom of God rather than just studying about it. Next time, we're going to look at our portion, the life and things that God has given us, and remember to be content. It's human nature to always want more, but God has a different way for you to live. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Homestead. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.